Hello, and welcome to Parents Just Don't Understand. I am Kurt Schiller, and tonight we're talking about what is quite probably one of the greatest cartoons ever made, as well as one of the most iconic comic book adaptations. And of course, that is the legendary Batman the Animated Series, which ran from 1992 to 1995. And so it's only fitting that we are joined tonight by uh, something of a scholar of the Batman, and dare I say, one of the leading voices on The Dark Knight, the undefeated Leslie Lee Third, host of the podcast Struggle Session. Leslie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yes, thank you for recognizing that I am a Batman scholar. I'm sure um, my parents are very proud. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, the same thing can't be said of Bruce Wayne, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we're here tonight to talk about uh, a real doozy of a show. Um, it's a kid's show, but it was also one that was designed with an adult audience in mind. And it was coming on the heels of Tim Burton's 1989 film. And I think you can really see that film's uh, fingerprints all over the show. But it's also its own thing, too. Uh, but before we get any further... Uh, Leslie, I always like to start out by asking people if this media is something that they watched as a child or was it something that you came to later? Uh, no, this is something I watched uh, when I was a kid uh, when it was coming out. I remember very uh, vividly being extremely, extremely excited uh, for this when I saw the commercials, being very excited to watch the premiere of it. I was I watched it all the time um when i was a kid i was uh i guess i was about 10 um when it started coming out and i just uh loved it so much it was definitely uh my favorite show at the time i watched every episode every time it was on yeah i was i was right around the same age and do you remember if this was something that you watched on like saturday mornings or during prime time or because this this is actually a show that ran originally it was slotted for a saturday morning slot but it was so popular when it came out that they actually started running it during prime time too for for about a year so do, do you remember when when exactly you would watch it oh both yeah <laughs> Good answer. yeah i mean i i was i was equally blown away by this show and i think there was so much like uh, there, there was definitely like a superhero boom going on at the time i feel like and there was almost like the situation where you had your pick of different things because there was uh, i believe the fox spider-man show was on around the same time x-men started in 92 the the same year so it, it was just this moment where there seemed like all of a sudden there was like a superhero cartoon renaissance going on but yeah this was definitely like my favorite show and i think one of the things that struck me about it and I wanted to talk about like immediately is I, I think watching it, I always kind of felt like it was something that was like challenging me to be more mature. Like I, I feel like even as a kid, I could kind of tell that it was more than just like a silly kids cartoon, which definitely wasn't the norm for superhero shows through the 80s. Yeah, it's something it's like it's very different than something like thundercats you know uh it, or teenage mutant ninja turtles or anything like that it just had a certain kind of tone that was just a bit more serious more complex a little bit storylines that you know where there was some ambiguity and each of the episode was like different instead of basically the same um story over and over again remix like they would do with he-man like there were i it, there was always something like a level 
of like quality to it and intelligence to it that put it above most of the other um, cartoon shows, even other cartoon superhero shows at the time. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess the previous show that had most recently used Batman apart, apart from like the movies would have been something uh, like, like the justice friends or the, the super, super friends. friends. Yeah. yeah, And, and like Batman in that was just kind of like, he was like a straight man for jokes a, a lot of the time, or he was just kind of a guy who would like punch stuff and then throw a gadget at someone. He was not like in this show, he's an actual detective. Like he actually goes out and is like gathering clues and solving crimes and like hunting down leads in a way that it, watching it a, again now almost reminded me of like Law and Order or something. Yeah, yeah, it is. A, a lot of the episodes are procedurals. I think like I think maybe the majority of them uh, are do have. It is Batman trying to figure out this crime, investigate who's uh, behind it, what's going on. And using his uh, gadgets and his uh, kung fu to defeat it. <laughs> yeah, you you mentioned the kung fu, and um, Batman kicks a lot of ass on on this show. Like in um, in the Mister Freeze episode, which I think I'll probably br bring up in a little bit more detail later, he does this like sweeping roundhouse kick where he he kicks like three people and yes. Mister Freeze over at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. This. So this is the you know. Because Batman has been defined and redefined in our generation, and it's and his how he's defined is like we we're not really cognizant of how different our conception of Batman is than the Batman that came before, say, Dark Knight Returns, and this, which paint very similar depictions of Batman as this kind of um, brooding. Mostly, he might have some uh, colleagues, but he's mostly a loner, primarily defined by, you know, some sort of anger and trauma. Uh, someone who is a very good detective, but also like the top martial artist uh, in the world and has, you know, a few um, weapon, some weaponry from Wayne <laughs> Tech uh, that he can use if uh, that doesn't suffice. But this show, and along with, you know, some of the comics that came out around, around that time, has put it in our heads this idea of not just Batman, but the Joker and Mr. Freeze and Two-Face and Catwoman and Harley Quinn that we think have been the same since forever, even though mm -hmm. this show was really, like, defining a lot of these characters. It, it this show invented Harley Quinn, for, who is pro possibly um, the most popular um, comic book character, you know, invented after like 1980. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Harley Quinn. And I'm glad that you brought up Mr. Freeze because, yeah, people probably don't realize just how much of modern Batman is owed to this show. And, you know, obviously also things like The Dark Knight Returns. Um, yeah, so there's Harley Quinn, there's Mr. Freeze, who was like, Mr. Freeze was basically, before this cartoon, was a joke. He was like a third string Batman villain who was like a wacky mad scientist who would show up. And this film gave him this like tragic backstory, made him a very sympathetic character um, that they they actually like incorporated that back upstream into the the main like Batman comic book mythology. And I, I think that actually happened with a bunch of other characters too. Apparently, apparently the way that Two-Face was drawn was was changed a lot as a result of this. Um, Clayface kind of had, Clayface, had a makeover. Yes. 
yeah, to, to make it more like this. And it was it's interesting to me, just, just to talk about the villains, I guess, how many of these villains become sympathetic depictions of people who are like screwed over by a system, often often a company, which I thought was re- really interesting yeah. in like an early 90s cartoon. Yeah, like uh, the bad guy, the guy, bad guys who create Mister Freeze are like a corporation. Wayne, um, Wayne, uh, not Wayne Tech, Goth, Goth, Gotham Tech, um, like several, like uh, Bat, uh, Man Bat. Um, yep. Also, like uh, nearly all of the villains are created either by some kind of corporate espionage or industrial accident. I think even like the Riddler's, you know, origin is kind of tied up in, into it as well. Like everybody, like you know, all these, all these, you know, villainous characters are presented as not just being one-dimensional Saturday morning cartoon villains. They all often have some sort of, they have some sort of reason behind why they end up becoming um, villains. And Batman often, you know, shows a little bit of sympathy uh, for them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of sympathy for villains in this show, and this is this is something that. You know, speaking as a parent, um, makes me really comfortable with introducing a show like this to my kids. Even though it's definitely, I mean, my my kids are three and under one, and so they're definitely younger than you know this show was designed for. But at the same time, I I don't feel like it's beyond them, and I do actually kind of like a, a lot of the things that Batman does. He's a pretty good role model for kids. Like he's very sympathetic. He's very empathic with with people he he like feels bad for these villains that he's locking up there's uh, they go out of their way to show batman like rescuing the joker from explosions a bunch of times yeah he rescues like random henchmen um i i did want to go back to mr freeze for a second because i i forget the bad guy's name the the like the corporate goon who causes the accident but i wrote down a line from him uh where he says i i guess the 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 slogan of of Gotham Core is the people company, which is pretty funny in of itself. But he has this line at one point where he's meeting with Bruce Wayne and he says, the people company is good PR, but when the wage slaves start acting like they own the place, it's time to pull the plug, which again yeah. is a pretty funny sentiment from a kid's cartoon in, in 1992. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is, you know, there's a lot there. That's why, you know, the show watching it again, like, you know, is the animation as good as I remember it? No. Is it as dark or as serious as I remember it? No. But there's still like a lot of heart and thoughts behind it that makes watching them even now still, you know, pretty fun. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the animation, um, which I, I agree that it doesn't, it doesn't hold up as well as I remember it. And I think part of it is just that, uh, at times, it looks a little bit like something like like Tiny Toon Adventures occasionally, which I, which is no um, no surprise because a lot of the team that worked on that show also moved over to this show. So especially, I think in the early episodes, it has a, a little bit of like a kids show quality to it. And also, it's it's just kind of a style that has become pretty well trodden. Like the rest of the DC animated universe really based itself off of the the way that this show looks, but the overall visual design is really striking and yes. 
the the art director actually um, mandated that all of the backgrounds uh, apparently would be drawn on on black paper, so that like all of the backgrounds were fundamentally these very dark black backgrounds with a lot of white and a lot of red standing out against it, which gives it this very like city on fire at at nighttime feel to all the shots. Yeah, like the art style, like I like the art, the way they designed Gotham. It's sort of this, you know, trapped in time, like art deco sort of thing. All the cars look like are kind of like retro future futuristic from like the 1940s or 50s. Like even though it is, so I think it's supposed to take place in modern day. Still, I I guess this is something that uh, Burden did with his film too. They kind of took the cue from there, having like this modern gothic meets art deco sort of style. Um, to it, which you know, uh, whether animation, some of the animation holds up, the style itself uh, still looks really beautiful. Yeah, and I, I was a big fan um, of the comics that they had that were like the animation universe tie-in at the same time, where they actually started putting out a, a line of comics that were were illustrated in in the style of the yeah yeah the Batman cartoon, which I thought was was uh, they're very cool. good. Um, go, going back to the villains for for a second, um, yeah, there's there's so much about this that that is such a different depiction of the way that villains were shown previously, and I think the you can go back to earlier Batman media um, and e- even the more serious stuff like the Dark Knight Returns does get into a bit more sympathetic depictions of these Batman villains, but I think in the cartoon and this makes sense with it being a a kid's show, it never really feels like any of the villains, even the Joker a a lot are, are like irredeemable people. They all feel like people who are pushed to the breaking point, especially someone like Clayface or Mr. Freeze or uh, poison Ivy is like a very sympathetic character in in this and i I just think it's such an interesting take on these characters that you really don't even see that much nowadays i don't feel like oh yeah it's it's, you know there is just this sense of like depth and nuance and you could tell like when they were writing when paul dini um was coming with these characters and writing these stories he thought about them as more than just like the toy that has to be, you know, made and shipped off in order to fight Batman. Like there's actual, you know, story and heart uh, to this cartoon that, you know, makes it, you know, made it so much more interesting when I was a, a kid watching it. Cause I was much more into this than I was in to in almost anything else. I think the only uh, cartoon at the time that I think could compete with Batman was uh the short-lived exo squad oh uh, man yeah yeah i'm not sure if you remember that but yes that, i do very strongly i had i actually had a couple of the toys for that that was a really cool show yeah it was really cool because it, it similar to you know batman it might look like every other uh cartoon but it actually had like some real good serious writing and storyline and characters and like it was more complex. It wasn't just you know the good humans versus the bad aliens. Like the, all the alien villains were enslaved by humanity and they've overthrown humanity. And so it's, it was like a more complicated uh, thing, deliberately so because they were trying to um, mimic uh, the the long the, some of the ongoing like war animes like a uh, Gundam or Robot 
tech. Um, and I just remember ExoSquad, even though it was very short, it ended on a cliffhanger uh, the last <laughs> episode, and we never got follow up. But man, it was such, it was another cartoon that just you know, even though I was just a little kid, I knew something a little bit more complex was going on than what was going on on say you know even x-men which i really enjoyed yeah so i'm i'm glad that you mentioned that there was these shows kind of had like stakes and a lot of nuance to them and i think something that um people who are you know growing up now and are maybe in like their 20s now might not realize is um the shows used to be especially kids shows very rarely used to be shown in in order um, in the nineties, like, uh, especially if you were watching stuff on Saturday morning, um, they would just show these shows in any order <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. So like there would be two parters and you would, they, they, they might show two episodes back to back and you'd see part two of the two parter and you'd, you'd never see part one and you might see part two, like four times in a row on, on different weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And kids, they just have no kind. They don't even know what Saturday morning cartoons are. Yeah, <laughs> that's just that's so heartbreaking for me that kids don't know that that used to be special because that was the only time you could see cartoons. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, on, I I remember this is a bit off topic, but I, I remember when we finally got Cartoon Network. Just the fact that you could always watch cartoons yeah. was like game changing. <laughs> yeah, huge, huge. Now you these all they do is watch. You know. Peppa Pig now. Sad, sad. <laughs> and more options than ever. Yeah. Um, so I think that to a large extent, the success of a piece of Batman media kind of lives or dies by how successfully it captures Batman himself. So I wanted to dig into uh, the, the depiction of Batman in the animated series, voiced, of course, by Kevin Conroy, who uh, can, has continued to do voice work for Batman. I believe he did the voice in a few of the Arkham games that came yeah. out. I think specifically the first two. No, he did them, he did them in everyone except the one that was the, the prequel um, one. That's the only one he uh, didn't do because it was supposed to be a younger Batman and Joker. But in the other three, he played, uh, he did Batman and then uh, Mark Hamill did the Joker and the Batman games are like, they're straight come from the animated series like so much uh they're very connected to them i think paul dini was uh involved with the writing of them as well but that that's another thing that even though those games came out like a decade after um the show ended like took directly from the show yeah, every opportunity yeah and i i, I want to get into mark hamill and the joker in a second but um let me let me pose you a question i i love to ask about any depiction of batman um, I, I think that any depiction of Batman comes down to either Batman is the the persona or Bruce Wayne is the persona. And I wanted to ask you if you felt like w which category this show uh, depiction of Batman and, and, and Bruce Wayne fell into is is Bruce Wayne the fake one or is Batman the fake one? I think if you look at it, you know, canonically, it's Bruce Wayne that's the fake one. He actually does say it in um, batman begins in one episode um where he's um under some sort of hypnosis or something and he's hearing voices and the voices refers to himself as a uh, bruce wayne and he said and and terry's like and terry the younger um, batman is like well how'd you know it was fake and, and, he, and he said it's because I, when i think of myself i don't think of myself as bruce wayne 
Um, mm. So I th- I really do think, even though we do get you know a fairly decent amount of Bruce Wayne in this, we get like just as much of Bruce Wayne like in disguise as like matches Malone and doing th- this other stuff where he's doing Batman work as uh, Bruce Wayne. When I think of like the um, the storyline with uh, Talia. And like he has his mask on while he's, you know, falling in love with this woman. He's still, you know, Batman. He's not um, Bruce primarily. I think he I think the show does come down on the idea that, you know, Batman is primarily Batman and Bruce Wayne is just uh, how he pays the bills. I think that's I think that's almost entirely correct. The only nuance I would add is I did notice in one of the episodes that I watched that um, he refers to both Batman and Bruce Wayne in the third person at times where he says, like, I think Batman is going to have to go out and do this or Bruce Wayne has to be at this party at at nine. They're expecting Bruce Wayne. So I almost at times got the sense that there was like a third (laughs) real person who is definitely closer to Batman, but that he also sees Batman as like a a a shade of himself or like another face of himself. But critically, um, Kevin Conroy does. And I I don't know if he started this trend, but he definitely like captures it really well of Batman having a very different voice from from Bruce Wayne. And when he's not in any kind of character, he definitely has the Batman voice and not the kind of goofy Bruce Wayne voice. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned um, how how much Bruce Wayne we get to see in this because yeah, especially for a piece of Batman media, Bruce Wayne is very present a lot of the time, and I guess in this show he's he's kind of like a good natured, s- smart, well meaning, but also kind of like a jock football guy businessman. He's not he's not like the the like loose cannon playboy idiot that you see in in some batman series but he's he's also is kind of like a dopey guy i feel like and it's it's interesting how they 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 do use him to to contrast against batman and to kind of like get information out of people who are like oh that that bruce wayne he's just you know he's just like a good old boy he's just like a nobody you know billionaire yeah i I, you get the sense that most people don't really take bruce uh, that seriously um in this um but he um yeah people don't really take bruce uh seriously like and it kind of downplays the him being like a billionaire and so rich like it's not it doesn't come up as much as it does maybe as as like uh the christopher nolan movies where they you know his wealth kind of becomes the center of some storylines here you get the impression that it's just that i don't know it's not that big a deal like him being the ceo of wayne corp (laughs) Like no, nobody really shows him a lot of, you know, respect or anything like that. He's just like another guy. There, there is, um, I, I, there is a scene in, I think it's in one of the Poison Ivy episodes where he finds out that like one of his, you know, vice presidents of Wayne Corps has been running around his back doing like deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. And he gets like really mad and like threatens to fire the guy if he doesn't shut it down, which I thought was, it was an interesting take on like Bruce Wayne as the ethical businessman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely is ethical. He, he, there's, I think there's more, a few plots where it's like Wayne enterprises, something's going bad at Wayne enterprises and he has to step in. So how do you think this Batman stacks up against, kind of some of the other all-time great, you know, depictions of 
of of Batman, like say the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, Dark Knight Returns. So, hmm. so it's hard, right? Because it still is kind of a kids show, and I do prefer a more PG thirteen R rated Batman. But like, but as I've seen, whether you know when Paul Dini wrote um, the Batman comics. Like he, it doesn't take much to get it to that level. And he really has like a super, super strong understanding of who Batman is. And he's able to kind of dumb it down and tone it down to get, it, you know, good with like the censors on, on this show. So I don't really, so it's hard. It's hard. like, I think, and when I think about the video games, uh, he wrote, cause he co-wrote, um, Arkham City and Arkham Asylum. I almost think that's like the perfect Batman, and it's basically the same Batman. It's just that the world is allowed to be a little bit darker, a little bit more fucked up. So if it's hard to like separate those different Batman in my mind because they're all written by the same guy, and you know, putting them all together, I like think that it might be the best. Um, depiction of Batman. <laughs> uh, period. I, it's certainly the most holistically sound with where where with just with Batman and his Rose Gallery and his friends and comrades. Like there's a whole Batman world that just works that Dini has figured out and it just works perfectly um, together. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. And one of the things that I I had jotted down while rewatching this is that it's a very day to day Batman show. Like you, yeah. you get a sense of what both Bruce Wayne and Batman are doing all day. Like there's he's he is kind of a mysterious person to to an extent, but like you know he he comes and he goes. They've thought through the like the logistics. There, there's even an episode where. Uh, the the Batmobile gets wrecked. Yes, yeah, he, and, and he has to take it to a mechanic to get the Batmobile repaired, and it like digs into like, well, what what are the relationships that Batman would need to have to be able to keep being Batman without having his his identity compromised? So it's a very full like living depiction of 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 Batman. Yeah, and that's you know the most. That's why it's you know might be the best Batman because you can really imagine this Batman as a living. Um, breathing person who has who operates in the world well like i really like the batman in batman versus superman but that's a really you know strange world that he has to operate in because he he's batman but there's also superman and wonder woman and, and the flash and like doomsday and gotham city is right next to metropolis and there's a lot of weirdness going on even though i do like you know, Ben Affleck's portrayal of this older Batman and certainly a burly big Batman, which is you get in the animated series as well. He's a burly Batman. Um, Yeah, he's a thick boy. Um, But this one, it just works so perfectly as in in the whole thing it just gives you the whole city you got your art you got arkham asylum you got the prison you got commissioner gordon you got bullock you got renee montoya uh you just have everything in this show that creates a full picture of batman and his world and i don't think anything else could really like compare to it because this was a long-running tv show with a 
tons and tons of episodes so they had the time to build all this out the only thing that will ever compare is like a really good run from a, uh, a writer on a batman comic book Ain't, not, anything else is going to feel a little bit flat in comparison I, I think that has to be a really challenging like writing challenge to make a show like this where there is some serialization, but you kind of had to plan for it as a kid's show of just people seeing it out of order. So like in the first couple episodes, uh, Harvey Dent is still Harvey Dent. He's not he's not yeah. face yet. And I think there's even like like a two parter episode where he's he kind of goes through the whole change and becomes two face. And so if you saw that out of sequence, you'd be like. Oh, is that is that Two Face in disguise? What's what's going on here? And as a kid, you'd kind of just have to like. I, I remember having to piece stuff like that out. Or that you mentioned Exo Squad earlier, and that was another thing where I I believe there was a character who died in that midway through the season, maybe. And and like you would catch references to events that happened in episodes that you might never see, and so you just had to kind of be like, well, I I I've, I've intuited that this this happened, even though I I might never actually get to see that that chapter of the story. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm very glad that I, you know, was on this and watching every episode as it came out because I, I wouldn't like the Har the Harvey Dent like turn when you got to see two the like the slow him slowly becoming Two Face. That was like just a really like strong episode. Is it was nice because there were it felt like there were consequences sometimes in the show yeah. and most Saturday morning shows they're not big on consequences of any sort so i wanted to go into a couple of the the standout episodes um that that introduced major characters or or were just kind of perfect encapsulations of i think what makes this show um awesome and the the first one is uh the joker's favor uh not not the joker's trick but the the joker's favor um which is actually the episode that introduced uh, Harley Quinn for for the first time, um, and the the basic concept of it is it's it's just kind of a regular schlubby guy who I think he works as an accountant or something who who road rages on the highway at, yeah. at a car and it turns out that it's the Joker <laughs> driving the car and he winds up basically being in debt to the Joker, and the story follows him as the Joker calls in his his favor and what i loved about this episode uh, apart from the fact that it, it introduced um harley quinn is that it it showed a rare overlap between the regular world of a person who lives in gotham and the world of of batman and the joker and how they intersect in a very like simpsons frank grimes type way and it kind of calls up like the the absurdity of the relationship between the two to, to me, I, it was less absurd and more like how scary it w would be, how terrifying it would be if you were just a regular person in Gotham and you meet the Joker who's killed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. Like, because because he that's his reaction is like one of uh, extreme like terror and fear when he realizes that the one he's been, you know, yelling and cursing out is <laughs> the Joker. And I, I just really that's why I really remember about the show. Like he has to go in and witness protection and change his name. And the Joker finds him anyway, easily. Like it's just a kind of like really like creepy, weird thing that this guy just like, you cannot escape him. If you make the mistake of getting involved in this world, you're basically dead. I, I did love how, you know, this being a kid's show, it, 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 it kind of, 
does this in both directions where on on the one hand it goes out of its way to show you that he has a family and yet shows that he's been in witness protection so there's this implied threat it's like to him and his family um and the the joker basically does say he doesn't say i'm going to kill you but he did he does say something to the effect of like i never promised i would let you out of this alive so he he kind of in a roundabout way says he's going to kill him um but i also love how it does some really funny stuff with the joker and it's it's worth mentioning that the joker in this is like a pretty funny joker like he's definitely like a a corny funny joker but there are moments of like really genuine very funny humor like in in this episode they go out of their way to show the joker like very politely using hand signals as he's driving on on the highway and uh changing lanes so like (laughs) it's it's a brilliant way of like showing to a kid i think that like on the one hand, this is threatening, but on the other hand, kind of building like a safety net of like, okay, we're also kind of joking around here. Um, and, and so like, you, you know, straddling that line as the show did between adult and kid, kid entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a good uh, mix. I, you know, and this, I mean, it's really kind of a brutal episode too, because like the Joker's plan is to like blow people up and he has like bombs, <laughs> show the bombs like going off and exploding. And they would clearly like kill everyone um, within range. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it really is like, I think a lot darker than you would like get from you know modern cartoons because the implication is really there that like yes people are going to die if batman uh doesn't um come in and save the day they they apparently had to fight with the network um over some some aspects of that that depiction like specifically over the use of realistic firearms and it, it is worth mentioning you know, for for parents who might be concerned about like depictions of guns at all, like there there are a lot of guns in this show. Um, only one person ever actually gets hit, and that's as an episode where Jim Gordon gets gets shot, and that's like part of the plot line is him him like recovering from being shot. But almost every episode has like the the random you know Joker gang or Mister Freeze gang pulling out like 1940s Tommy guns and just opening up on Batman who's like running across the pavement as as like bullets ricochet all around him. Yeah. But much like G.I. Joe, nobody ever actually gets gets hit by by the laser or by the bullet in this case. No. But yeah, it's it it is it is definitely like yeah, it's both darker and less dark than I remember it being. And I, I almost feel like they they get away with it just by never directly saying it. Like they show you that yeah, people are gonna get blown up and they're going to die. But they, they just don't ever come right out and and say like I'm trying to kill all these people. You're just kind of left to to draw your own your own conclusions about it. So what's what's interesting to me is the the way that they resolve that at the end. This this is that they basically show that this the schlub has is getting pulled into the kind of like Joker Batman mindset. Where at the end they tease this notion that he's he's fed up. He's had it. And he starts fighting back, and unlike Batman, he's he seems ready to kill the Joker. Um, and he he actually like throws a bomb back at the Joker that turns out to be, of course, a a gag bomb yeah. that then Batman laughs at, which I thought was like a really nice touch of of like the Joker comes away still seeming dangerous, but he also you know it, it it's resolved in a very like kid kid friendly way that both maintains the, the tone and and kind of re- resolves it in a way that wouldn't have parents calling up you know, the network and complaining. <laughs> yes. 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 A man threatened to kill himself and the Joker 
at the end, but it was a joke because it was a toy bomb. It's fine. So since since this is uh, the 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 Joker episode of the two or three that that we picked out, um, I'll I'll ask you the same question as as the Batman. How how do you think the Joker stacks up in in this compared to something else? Um, you know, it's he's not necessarily my favorite Joker, but he's undeniable his like influence and portrayal. It's this is a you know this is a Joker for a 90s you know cartoon it's not necessarily the joker that you want might want to see in a movie or in the comic book but for this it he is you know perfect perfect um i like my jokers a little bit more violent of course he couldn't Mm -hmm. be more violent um but other than that like it's pretty good and we see in the arkham games we get you know the more violent depiction of the same joker with the same writer and the same voice actor and we know that you know it was only the network that was holding him back from it being you know the best joker ever yeah and he definitely is as you say violent up to the point that they could get away with because he pretty much is always just trying to to kill people or or do he does occasionally have like like a goofy like thematic heist the way that like two faces always trying to steal things in twos there are definitely like I, there's definitely a few like clown related crimes or things where it's like, well, why is, why is the Joker doing this? Well, I, I guess it's like to fit with, with his theme, like a very kind of like venture brothers way. Um, but yeah, like there's like the Joker Christmas episode where he kidnaps a bunch of people and is threatening to, I think like kill them and poison the city. And then he, he tries to shoot Batman with like a bunch of guns. And of course, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, pretty much every episode, you know, the, he's telling his goons to try and kill Batman. Um, but yeah, he is he is like threatening in an implicit way instead of the way he might be um, in in something like the Killing Joke cartoon where he's actively like a sadist, psychopathic, you know, m- murderer. He's definitely yeah. a murderer, but it's not exactly that he's he's incompetent. Exactly, it just it seems really hard to kill Batman in this. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to kill Batman. I do think he gets credit for killing a few people because the some of the ones he Joker gasses, um, I think they're dead. At least they look like they're dead. Where they just have like the permanent grimace. Mm-hmm. I think you get a couple of like uh, deaths in it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that in this where if if you read into it, it certainly seems as if somebody has killed someone um, and they never really explain, like, did they get better or or not? But, and again, I think it's that thing where, like, if, if you don't come right out and say it, like, you can kind of get away with it because if someone asks, you could just be like, no, no, you know, they they got better in another scene that we just <laughs> cut. We just didn't film. <laughs> we just didn't shoot yeah. it. <laughs> um. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about about Harley Quinn because, as you say, she's become like one of the most popular like comic book characters, and now there's this whole s- series of movies being made where she's pretty pretty central to it. And she has apparently a new uh, cartoon show, which I have to say I'm not I, I, I I'm not a super huge fan of of what I've seen about it. Um, but yeah, she originated in this show, uh, voiced by Arlene Sorkin, um, and it's a really it's a really cool character and it's kind of it's it fits very well in giving i think the joker like a a i don't want to say a home life exactly but it gives opportunities for him to interact with someone that isn't just like a thug uh, like that is working for him 
Um, and, and so I think it gives them an opportunity to explore more about, again, like the day-to-day existence of the Joker. Like who who cleans up, you know, his uh, his hideout? Who who feeds the hyenas that he has? Well, apparently it's it's Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've always liked, you know, Harley Quinn as a character um, and coming from the show. I, I remember when she popped up in the show, I assumed that she was in the comic books. Um, but but she didn't appear until uh, years later, so she felt like a, so she did really feel like a nat- as a natural, you know, uh, element here as you know the Joker's uh, girlfriend. I I don't know why she took off so you know so huge, but I think it's it, a lot of it is to do with you know a lot of you know people were watching this cartoon and like she had a really nice character design which was really easy uh to cosplay as <laughs> so as you had like red and black you could be harley quinn and i think the live action version is really leaned into that because she doesn't even have like a costume she just has like is it's not red and black anymore it's like that blue and like light blue and red is are not her color so anything you if you wear if you have that on then harley quinn so i think um, they were very smart with the character design, making it based more on color than a specific costume. I do think it's funny how in in this, you know, which is her her original depiction, most of the time she is just Joker's girlfriend, and there's only a couple instances where she, you know, runs off with uh, Poison Ivy and you know shows some independence. Whereas I, I think in the the you know in the live action. Uh, depictions she's she's almost always running off and doing her own thing like that's almost feels like it's become more the core of the character than being joker's girlfriend it's yeah almost like she's become more joker's you know ex-girlfriend yes yes that's her that's how she's been defined for a while now because she's so popular she can't just they can't just have her hanging out with a sexual sadist serial killer <laughs> even though she is one herself uh by all depictions she's just as bad as the joker but she she got so popular she was like when china was with triple h in the wf and china got so popular that when she would come out by herself she would be a good guy but when she came out with triple h the audience would boo her and it was kind of the same thing with harley quinn is the exact same thing with harley quinn she got so popular in her own right she kind of has uh to be a hero there's no interest uh, if you know this, in telling a solo Harley Quinn villain story, right? Like I can't think of uh, very many off the top of my head that I've read. It's always it, whenever she breaks off and becomes solo, she's more um, hero heroic uh, present. She's supposed to be some sort of like kooky hero, like a Deadpool sort of. She's like DC's Deadpool uh, when she's unattached from the Joker. Usually, I I, I think that's I, I think that the Deadpool comparison is bang on and it's yeah even in this when she breaks away from the joker it immediately starts like humanizing her in in the one episode where she runs off uh with with poison ivy and poison ivy basically starts teaching her about like feminism which which i thought was pretty funny um yeah like she is doing like crimes with poison ivy um but this this um show has like a whole episode about Harley Quinn, like trying to get out of 
the Joker life, basically. And yeah, trying to, to go back to being either like a regular person or or a hero. And I, I think part of it is just that she's kind of depicted as like hapless or not incompetent exactly, but just kind of like scatterbrained to the point that she's she's never really a threat in, in even like when she's with the Joker. Like she's she's kind of there to be the butt of, of jokes. And I, I think that's why they kind of felt compelled to give her some some independence so that she could have storylines where she just wasn't like a punchline moving on i think another another character that was really i mean given new life by this series like we mentioned before is uh mr freeze who who was kind of a a, a joke and now he is I, i think one of the most iconic batman villains in large part because this show gave him this tragic backstory in uh, Hearts of Ice, which we, we touched on earlier. And it's basically the story of how Mr. Freeze came to be Mr. Freeze. It's his origin story. Uh, it lays out why he's so mad, um, why he's cold all the time, uh, gives him this really sad backstory and gives uh, Batman some nice emotional touches too. Um, did, now, I, I, me, me growing up, I never really remembered the, the goofy Mr. Freeze, I, I I think you were a bit more into DC Comics than than I was. So was was he a character that you knew anything about as a kid outside of this show, or was this like your first exposure to him? Um, as far as I know, I wasn't reading DC when I was watching the show. I was more of a Marvel when the show was out. But yeah, I know, I don't remember uh, the previous Mr. Freezes. I think there were a few of them actually. They had they went by. You know, like there were multiple clay faces, there were multiple Mr. Freeze, but the anime series is the Mr. Freeze that, you know, is in the comics uh, now. And they kind of, and the series, you know, redefined him for the comics uh, going forward because it was just, you know, a much more, you know, in depth, serious, and interesting uh, character with the tragic uh, backstory. I think before he was just like a guy with an ice gun but now he's a guy with an ice gun who's sad and has a uh, frozen wife and all this stuff i i did think it was funny that even while they gave him this much more serious backstory which which for anyone who's not familiar is is basically like uh victor freeze a a cryogenesis uh his wife is afflicted with some kind of fatal illness and so he's he's trying to preserve her um last bit of of life until her disease can be cured and you know he's he's inveigled in some kind of corporate mishap where the the either the ceo comes in there's been a a couple different retellings of it in in this show um his his boss comes in and tries to to end the experiment uh, prematurely exposes him to the frozen freezing chemicals and winds up it's not really explained in this episode what what happens to his wife i i do believe that she's still around in in later episodes and still frozen um but he he winds up only being able to survive at at sub-zero temperatures and having this this grief-based vendetta but even with all that i did notice that they still gave him like cold themed uh you know sidekick uh, gangster th- thugs and it is pretty f- it was pretty funny to think about like what what would make these you know uh cr- crooks sign on to be with the guy who wants vengeance over grief and is probably just really sad all the time <laughs> <laughs> look you gotta take a gig when you get it okay like i don't think the henchmen um in uh gotham have you know a lot of choices like 
the fact is there's a you know a good 50 percent chance that whoever your boss is he's going to kill you himself either just because he gets mad at you or as you know sacrifice you in order to get away from the batman which happens in this mr freeze episode he does freeze a guy one of his own guys by accident leaves him for the batman um yeah i you have to wonder like how bad is it I, like i i've been thinking about a store making a story where like the henchmen unionize across all the villains <laughs> and start trying to lay out rules for how they're going to be treated paid you know something like um a attorney instead of like like this y'all get health insurance and also you know uh you know, like there are, you know, attorneys on retainer for them because eventually going to get arrested. Uh, I think that's something that would be very interesting and funny uh, to look into. <laughs> the, 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 the whole henchman gig economy really struggling with wages and unionization. Yeah. 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 They'll, yeah they'll try to unionize, but then somebody will like, I don't know, the Riddler will make like a hench app for, <laughs> like, a, a for henchmen. <laughs> undercut them yeah i i did really like um you, you mentioned that that mr freeze leaves one of the henchmen for for batman and batman saves him and takes him back to the bat cave and c- cures his his frozenness uh and gets the ice off of him um and then i mean he, he just kind of exits from the story at at that point but i did re- really like the there is a lot of pathos that i i think um like when you're a kid, you don't really recognize how shows are different from, from other shows. I think sometimes you can kind of sense it. Um, but the, the idea that like Mr. Freeze's henchman was, is like literally begging, like, don't, don't leave me, please. As the other henchmen walk away from him, leaving him with an uncertain fate with Batman. Um, I, I did love that they went out of their way to give him like a little, a little plot line and a little resolution. Um, did, did, did differences like that make any impression on you as a kid? Like, was that, did, did you have a sense that this was like going places that other shows weren't, or was it just kind of like, this is cool. Like, this is awesome, which I think is where, where my head was for the most part. No, I just, I knew it was just like, there was more going on. There was just more going on with this than there was with, you know, anything else. That's what, I, that's what I really um, gleaned on that there, there was something, you know they cared more about more characters this had a more fleshed out world there was you know psychology there they you know talked about why people did the things that they did why they were villains they there was a the, they weren't just you know bad guys because they look a certain way or just want to do evil like the, i just appreciated it i like i knew something more was going on than on you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where it's just, you know, silliness, guy wants to take over the world because that's what bad guys want to do. Like, there was none of that, you know, just outright, you know, paint-by-numbers, Saturday morning stuff happening on the Batman the Animated Series. So that's that's a good um, cue to bring up something that I I wanted to specifically ask you about because... You are, I think, um, a very eloquent critic of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the way that a lot of times it is very simplistic and basically is, you know, something effectively for children or for, you know, people who are a little bit older than children, but certainly it's meant to be 
pretty simplistic. And in watching this episode in particular, I, I was struck by how much more complex uh, the plot line of this like 24 minute episode was emotionally than a typical Marvel film and how like the writing was, was better. Like, like Mr. Freeze has these amazing like Shakespearean lines. So what, how, how do you think this looks like looking back um, now that we're in a moment when these kind of, I don't want to say dumbed down exactly, but I think that's kind of what they are. Like Marvel movies are the dominant superhero show comparing that to a, a literal children's cartoon from the nineties. I mean, it does not compare favorably, like at all, because like they're because they're the Marvel movies are like super silly in like a way that's not even fun, like where they ud- undercut any sort of emotional weight or any reason to take any of the characters like seriously at all. It's just these constant quips that don't really make any sense like from a narrative basis and every character kind of speaks with the same voice no there's no like straight man you know there's everybody is quipping like uh like uh, uh jack um co-host of struggle session likes to say like what's so special about spider-man now when everybody <laughs> is constantly making jokes that was supposed to be his thing he's the guy who makes jokes but now like black widow makes jokes all the time and those movies, they just they try to be so big and try to cover have so many characters and so many things, but in uh, but nothing ends up feeling like it means anything. This show was very good at like it had some of the bigger like it was very good at knowing what the scale of each story should be and addressing it appropriately. Yeah, each one is very much like a little self-contained short story that you can come in knowing just that Batman dresses like a bat and fights crime. Yeah, um, and get like a nice little self-contained, very, very comic book. It's a very comic booky show. It's like a, it's not, and not like a big plot-driven comic book, but like an like an, an issue to issue one, um, where it's meant both to be consumed serially and and episodically. Whereas like now i think the overwhelming trend is for things to be strictly serialized where if you haven't watched the 10 previous movies or the 40 previous episodes of the show you would you would have no idea what's what's going on but also like you know i i know parents that definitely watch the marvel films with with kids who are only slightly younger than mine and I have to say, like, I'm I'm not I'm not comfortable with them. Like, I, I feel like they are not appropriate for for kids. And this so even an episode like this, that's definitely like darker than, in my opinion, any of the Marvel films, for instance, um, it, it's it's totally appropriate for kids. I have no problem with you know, very young kids watching this even at the same time it's like handling things in a much more mature way and i almost feel like part of it is just that it's it's speaking to them on on their level and on a level that you can you can grasp immediately but it is also simultaneously like challenging the audience to like what you know what if we did this self-contained very serious story with batman and a guy named mr freeze who you know dresses in like metal underwear and has a freeze gun it's such an interesting contrast that, as you say does not come out looking favorably i think for 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 either the the marvel uh movies or really i think any of the marvel tv shows that are out now yeah like i mean just 
telling a story in 24 minutes. That's all you need for like a comic book story. That's just all you need is those 24 minutes. It doesn't need to be, you know, 25 hours of the same story told over and over again. There's always something. Every episode is a little different than the one before it. They're all focused because they're focusing on the characters and what this new character means and how what they're trying to go through and how Batman can interact with that or what Batman needs in this episode and who's going to try to stop him from getting it. Like I, I, I like when you said like you wouldn't want those kids, you wouldn't want your kids watching a Marvel movie. I'm like, like people got mad at me when I said like Avengers isn't a kid's movie, <laughs> but it's like not nah, it's three and a half hours long. It's not very fun. It's like, really violent in a way that doesn't mean anything two of the superheroes commit suicide during it they they decapitate someone yeah and, and it's all like you know I, I i'm not i mean like i you know i watched you know robocop and freddy krueger as a kid but i still think there's something like stranger of when it's supposed when it's something that's supposed to be for kids and is doing that like when it is like captain america uh gunning down a bunch of people with no consequence i think that might be a little bit different than me at my friend's house knowing i'm not supposed to watch a movie I'm watching anyway yeah the the lack of consequences is 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 an interesting point where like th- those marvel films are in a way more cartoony than this a cartoon in that like y- you know a, a, your your co-host jack always likes to talk about how many 911s there are in in a superhero film um and it's just pretty much at least one per film for for the most part for their marvel films um, but there's never really any any consequences to them. It's it's just kind of like you know buildings falling over and people in peril, but there's no emotional weight to it. Whereas in in a show like this, it, you know, again, someone like the Joker feels threatening. People feel imperiled. You you get the sense that there are going to be consequences, even though there often aren't. And it like it uses that in a way. I, I think it, it becomes like the the danger and the violence feel real enough even though you don't see anything that you're going to come away from if you knowing that that was bad and not that oh this is just like you know a wacky good time where we blew a city up yeah yeah you know that you know it could have gone wrong if not for batman yeah um i you you mentioned spider-man earlier and uh i he i i realized after i kind of picked out the episodes that R- robin wasn't actually in any of them um, but I, I feel like if there is a character who is the one who's who's telling jokes all, all the time, it is often um, Robin, specifically Dick Grayson, because this the show did have both Dick Grayson and then later Tim Drake. And I think I think um, there's even an episode where Dick Grayson comes back as Nightwing. I, I think once or twice. Um, yeah, yeah. In the well, not technically this series. In the New Adventures of Batman, there's the new Robin and Nightwing, and we actually get the story of why. Uh, Dick Grayson quit um, and became Nightwing. I don't. I don't know that I've actually ever seen that one. I, I've seen the one where he's in college and he's like dating Barbara Gordon, and they don't. They they know each other both outside of costume and in, but they don't realize that they're like the same person. Yeah, yeah, but the, and you you get like a flashback because they don't show it at the top of the season. I think you you get a flashback to you know how Batman and Dick kind of had a falling out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so the the last episode I specifically wanted to talk about is uh, I think this one is is definitely a, a fan favorite, and it is Beware the Great Ghost, which is an episode all about um, Batman or Bruce Wayne reconnecting with the very Batman like or the shadow esque uh, hero that that he grew up watching on TV and as voiced by Adam West yes. and, and teaming up with him to, to solve a crime. You know, I, I remember, I remember this vividly watching it several times and enjoying it. Cause you know, you get that nice, you know, meta shout out to Adam West, you know, this happened before Birdman. Birdman owes a lot to this episode, I think. Um, and you know, you, it's nice where, you know, I remember thinking like, this is like the one of the early times where I think of where I thought about like what the life of the actors I watched was like after they, you know, leave the spotlight, after they leave um, a show, or you know what happens to like the power rank, the three Power Rangers that left, <laughs> you know, um, in that uh, during like the second season, I, and like that's just something I hadn't thought about as like a kid before watching this. I don't think. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a very sad episode where like a a lot a big chunk of the episode is as you say just just devoted to showing how how kind of sad and diminished these actors are and they're struggling to get more work um and kind of just getting rejected and both told simultaneously that uh, Simon Trent who who played the Great Ghost um is getting told that both like he's been typecast as the Great Ghost and and also uh, that you know nobody actually remembers the great ghost so he doesn't have any of the fame from doing that show but at the same time it's kind of like ruined him that's that's interesting about birdman i that hadn't occurred to me at all but you're you're totally right it's the same the same basic story except this time it's playing out as in him literally re-becoming the superhero in, in instead of becoming the superhero through through being an actor i, I guess which, which i thought was a nice touch we also get some nice scenes in this one of uh, a young happy bruce wayne um, just, just kind of spending time with his dad. It's, it's a very dad-oriented uh, plotline, which of course speaks deeply to me on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. Like you have, you get to hear, you know, Thomas Wayne for the few times that you uh, do in the series, and you get to get good memories of Batman's parents because you're usually usually just uh, reminiscing about them getting shot in the street. <laughs> um, but here, you actually find out, like, oh, this is. You know why you like his parents? <laughs> there was more to him than them dying. I did also like that in this episode. I, I, I so the the plot of the episode is is basically that uh, th there's someone blowing up buildings around Gotham, which is a very common occurrence. There must be like a booming building trade in in Gotham because almost almost every episode something burns down or gets blown up or like the entire piers get get destroyed. Um, and, and it's about Batman doing detective work, trying to to hunt down who is doing the bombing. What I liked about it, though, was it, it and th th the show often does this. It doesn't reveal at the beginning who is behind it. And if, if there's there's kind of two sorts of episodes of this show, I, I think there's the ones where it's like a smaller crime where it's like the day-to-day -day criminals who who aren't part of the rogues gallery and then there's the rogues gallery episodes and in the rogues gallery episodes it, it, you usually know exactly who's who's doing it the show starts off with like the joker doing a heist or two-face doing a big heist but in the ones where it's just kind of like a regular criminal um 
it, it often it, it often is up to the audience to kind of puzzle along with Batman and figure out what's what's going on. And so there's a very nice moment where after the the episode has set up just how sad and down on his luck Simon Trent is, uh, B- Batman thinks that he's found a clue that indicates that Simon Trent was was behind the bombings, and I, yeah. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 it's a nice little twist because you don't really know it could have been him. It could have been him, but um, and you see Batman trying to figure it out uh, for himself. It's just you know, it's the same thing that you might see in a Law and Order, but in the Batman cartoon. I think that's pretty fun. Yeah, and I in in this episode, um, something else that I read about this show is that a lot of the art style was influenced both by the Tim Burton movie, which we already talked about a little bit, and also by the old um, the the Fleischer Superman cartoons. I think you can really see that in this episode where they're showing you like the the gray ghost which is effectively just like an even an even more art deco version of the the gotham that we now see and it really does just look like one of those classic comics which which had like a very unique that that big chin art style that became like a hallmark of the dc animated universe i feel like it comes directly from those like fleischer superman cartoons yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a very you know try it, it and again it's filling out the world. It's like where would Batman get the idea of being Batman from? And it's like oh, from this old you know superhero that we're gonna invent, and it's a pretty what fleshed out you know kind of superhero of that time that makes uh, sense. Yeah, for for all that you see like thirty seconds of the Great Ghost, yeah, you you perfectly I like understand exactly what sort of show it is, what what it's supposed to be like. Um, I I did love at the end that you know Br- Bruce Wayne uh, goes and gets an autograph from the Great Ghost, who has been restored to to fame, and basically tells him that he's Batman, which I thought was a really neat neat little uh, touch that that happens a couple times throughout the series. Where yeah. He kind of, He's he's not a very secretive Bruce Wayne in the series, I would say. Well, he he tells a f- he gives a wink and a nod to a few people who he can trust, I think. <laughs> but in in yeah, like if you're a really good person, you get rewarded by knowing who Batman is. <laughs> although although apparently, uh, well, I guess I, I was gonna say that you don't get paid, but um, he he does actually buy back. I believe I I think it's implied that Bruce Wayne bought back all of his toys and or all of his like memorabilia that he'd had to to sell yeah. and give it back to him. Yeah, he does. He does. He bre- and then he breaks into his apartment and puts it back up. <laughs> so so I, I guess it's it's a little bit of a wrong and a little bit of a right. So um kind of wrapping up um one of the things I always like to to talk about is what kids can learn from consuming this media or like the the impact that it that it had on on kids and obviously you know this is something that you consumed as a kid and you are a serious uh comics scholar and a batman scholar in particular so um, i mean what what impact do you feel like it had on 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 your interests or your your you know the way that you see the world i guess I mean, I think the thing that, you know, really just sticks with me watching it again is just like that stories can have nuance and be complex and explore uh, different ideas, ambiguous ideas uh, and uh, feelings that you don't quite 
that you have but you don't quite un fully understand put you in the head of other people that you are very different from you that you might not understand but you can learn something from through narrative through story i think that that's you know the main thing i remember from this show is just that it was a show about all different types of people making all different types of choices and tries to get us to understand all those choices that, that people are making even when they're the wrong ones yeah and and i would say you know as, as someone who thinks a lot about about fiction i i think there's a lot that that i learned from thinking about this show and being exposed to it about how to economically tell a story without without expecting or asking too much of the audience because a lot of these episodes have very very little dialogue yeah um and, and the, but they always convey this very strong concept like even like the worst episodes of this show and there are a couple that are, are like pretty pretty bad um there, there's one called i believe it's called batman is batman is in my basement where it's like a, a little kid kind of like takes Batman hostage kind of it's it's a very strange um episode that doesn't really go anywhere but like even the bad ones um function well as stories like they're very tightly written and, and I think as you know someone who grew up consuming fiction and wanting to make fiction of his own I, I feel like I learned a lot uh intentionally or not about like how to create good economical stories from from watching this well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Leslie. It's It's been awesome uh, picking your brain about uh, one of my favorite incarnations of Batman. Where can people find more of your stuff? Yeah, patreon.com slash struggle session or strugglesession.substack.com. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, like I said, it has been a blast. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight for Parents Just Don't Understand. Have a great one. Peace.